We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 155 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. With me on this occasion, just the 12th man, Paul. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Fist. How are you this evening? I'm going well. I'm ensconced in my daughter's house in Sydney. And, dear listener, pleased to tell you that I'm now a grandfather. And lovely little... Yay! Yeah, little granddaughter was born just a few days ago, very healthy and happy, and my wife and I are spending a week here checking out the baby and enjoying that part of life and feeling the transition to a new stage of life when you become a grandparent. It's definitely... You feel a circle of life sort of happening, Paul? Yes, I quite agree. Mm. My, in fact, my daughter just got married uh, a few days ago too. Mm. Uh, no daughter on the way, no granddaughter on the way as far as I'm aware, but anyway, that could happen in time. Probably just a matter of time. Let the birds and the bees um, have an effect. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so, dear listener, if you haven't gathered, um, Paul is recording it. Well, he's talking over Skype because he's still in Brisbane. I'm in Sydney. We tried to get Scott, uh, the Velvet Glove, hooked up as well into the Skype call, but there was something really strange happening with his audio, and it sounded like he was down a deep, dark well, um, perhaps with a gas mask on him and almost crying out for help. So after the podcast, the the 12th man's going to scoot across Brisbane and just check that he's okay and he's out of that well. (laughs) Yeah, I think I should. Mm. He deserves as much. He does. Better check up on him. So now, 12th man... I saw a Facebook post come through my feed during the week and it was about yes. the the meeting of the Reason Party in Brisbane because Fiona Patton came to Brisbane and the word went out that she was in town and various people met her at a grilled restaurant and I'm looking at the photograph. Uh, well, it was actually a sort of a Facebook video and as it scanned yes. through the crowd, I thought to myself... I recognise a few of the faces here, and indeed... Yes, you would have. Who who was sitting on her right hand, um, other than our very own Deep Throat, right beside her as... as indeed, he was, yes. yes. He had prime position there, so the Deep Throat does not miss out. And you and Scott were there as well, so tell me, Paul, about the meeting and what happened. Well, I, I can't tell you too much because I just went as a, a curious observer more than anything. Fiona came up to, I, I guess, just to, you know, press the flesh a little bit, you know, to try and um, create a bit of it more interest in Reason Party. And, uh, you know, spoke for a while. You know, she spoke for a good half hour or so to everybody gathered. There were probably... Uh, 12, 15 people there, I suppose. So, you know, not a not a huge gathering, but a, a, a gathering of curious and interested people, some of whom were already members of the Reason Party and uh, a few others like, like us, like the ones you just mentioned, who came along to um, satisfy our curiosity. Mm-hmm. So did she discuss any i mean was it conf- it, i assume it wasn't confidential whatever was said you can no. tell us yeah 
So well, I, I look, I didn't take notes to be honest. I I just wanted to get a feel for for the party itself. The party does have a policy platform very similar to the one that uh, we've been associated with um, recently, which is the Secular Party of Australia. Sure. Um, I don't know if people are aware of that, but they probably are. Well, I used to be a member, and Scott and I ran for the Senate, but we're both no longer members, but you still are a member. Yes, yes. So, so you're just basically meeting people up here and having a chat, but um, nothing, nothing particularly juicy to... Sort of. No, I'm sorry. Sorry, I don't have anything like that. Uh, she, she, she was very uh, personable and pleasant, and uh, you know, charismatic. Dare I say, she seems like a very uh, sincere, committed, lovely person. And um, I, I wish her all the best. I'm, I'm not altogether sure I'm going to jump ship and join the Reason Party at this stage. But who knows what the future holds? Yep. So, did you meet Robin Bristow when you were at the meeting? Was he there at all? Did you remember seeing uh, Yes, he's the gentleman from the Sunshine Coast, I believe. Is that right? That's right. He was a candidate up, up there, I think, at the state election for the Reason Party. And Yes. Um, In fact, I did get his business card. Yeah. Well, his, his, his Reason Party card, I should say, rather than business card. But. Right. So we might have Robin on the podcast next week because apparently... Yeah, I think he'd be good value. Mm, apparently he disagreed with, with my theory about a Bill of Rights and the danger of allowing judges to make key decisions. And he's got an argument, I think, that South Africa only got sort of um, marriage equality because of the Constitution and the fact that judges could... Um, force the issue rather than Parliament. So so anyway, I think we'll probably have Robin on next week. And I believe Scott mm. uh, spoke to Fiona about our podcast and she's aware of it. And She was, yes. In fact, uh, she she smiled and uh, seemed pleased to meet us. So that was um, quite oh, good. gratifying. Yes. She, was, she, was, she was aware of... of she's aware of the, the podcast. And yes. the talk man, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There you go. So we, we, we probably should send a, a shout out to Fiona if she's listening right. to this podcast. Yeah. I've, Hi, I've Fiona. Been, I've been working on a new theory, Paul, as I've been driving around Sydney visiting customers as well. So it's a bit mixture of business and pleasure, this trip. So I've had a bit of time to think. And uh, think about minor parties and stuff. And I'm thinking – well, the other thing that's happened is I've been listening to a lot of other podcasts, particularly Cam Riley and his – He's got a Cold War podcast dealing with the Cold War. And part of it is the sort of economics of the Cold War. And he, he talks about how big business makes money from war and how the 1% basically get what they want all the time and the rest of us are just being screwed over. And it was just making me more and more angry about what we can do about it. And the sort of classic things that we've talked about with, you know, this tax breaks for the wealthy and tax breaks for big companies that's happening as we speak and we just can't seem to do anything about it. Anyway, so I've been thinking about it. And here's a theory. If you're really trying to affect change in Australia, I'm thinking that the only viable way would be to take a leaf out of the Christian Dominionist strategy and and basically try to take over through branch stacking and and through sheer numbers, the Labor Party, to convert it into something worthwhile. 
and yeah. to then go from there. So yeah. I'm thinking that if we secular rationalist movement was really serious, what we would do is be really focused on getting people to join the Labor Party and get numbers in there who could vote to get better candidates who are more in line with our sort of thinking. <laughs> Indeed. And I, I can't find a flaw in the theory as yet. It's, <laughs> it, it's it, your theory after all. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's right. So I'm calling for people to tell me where I'm wrong. But yeah. it's to me, people are so tribal in their voting. They're either Labor or Liberal to yeah. such a large extent. And yeah. they don't even know the policies of their tribe. They just vote for their tribe. So... If the tribe changes in its nature over time, then it doesn't matter. They'll still vote for the tribe. I think that's right. I think you'd find it easier to branch stack and get a a sort of a secular rationalist pre-selected into a Labor seat, get them into Parliament and get them putting forward stuff would would be more... It just seems to be the way to go rather than to try and do it via a small party like Reason or the Secular Party or the Future Party or the Science Party or any of those other ones. That That's my yes. feeling. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you, Trevor. Uh, it, it's pretty clear that the, the system as we have it favours the big parties. Yep. And, um, I mean, obviously numbers, numbers are what count in a representative democ- democracy. After all, but why the Labor Party? Why not the Liberal Party or the, dare I say it, the National Party? Well, well, you've got to start with the with the with the one that's more likely to be in in line with your views, and also the you know the Christians have already taken over the Liberal Party, so and they've essentially left the Labor Party alone to a large extent, yeah. it seems. So. They've already taken that one, so the only one left is the Labor Party. But uh, that that would be why. Yes, I see. I think. Well, I, all I can say is there's a lot of taking over to do if you, if that's your plan. You know what we should do? We should go to a Labor Party meeting somewhere, Paul. Just yeah, like you went not? to a Reason Party meeting. Let's yeah. go. Let's make a commitment to go to a Labor okay. Party meeting and just see what goes on. Yeah, so, happy to do it. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> And we'll report back to you, dear listener. But there's my theory at the moment, if you're wanting to affect change, would be to really go into one of the big two parties and try yes. and convert them over into what you want. And I think uh, Deep Throat mentioned, I don't know if it was on the podcast, but Deep Throat mentioned at one time that, uh, was it Deep Throat? I think it was. Or was it you that mentioned someone joined the Labor Party in Queensland and effectively got um, assisted dying onto their state uh, official agenda. Correct. Um, it was Deep Throat. Is that you? Uh, it was Deep, Deep Throat. Deep told me the story and I told yeah. everyone else the story. But, yeah, right. essentially a lady joined the Labor Party uh, and just went through the motions of getting it up onto the agenda for the Labor Party state conference that was in Townsville at the time and it was put way down the bottom of the agenda list and nobody thought that they would get to it. So that was kind of one reason why it got on the agenda, I think. Yeah. And ultimately, they ran through the agenda items so quickly that yes. uh, it actually came up for discussion and yes. and got passed, uh, much to the shock and horror of many people. So yes. that became then official sort of Labor Party policy for assisted, you know, in favour of assisted dying. Now, it's up to the parliamentarians then to be convinced to actually follow yep. their own party policy. But that seems to me to be the way to go. So 
Um, Look, for the sake of fairness, uh, Bill, if you're listening, you're in our sights, mate. Bill. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Bill's listening, but anyway. Mm. Okay. Paul, there's all sorts of stuff going on in Australia with religious freedom and the influence of religion on our, on our politics. Indeed. We started this podcast three years ago, but... I think we were prescient in in seeing the dangers that were ahead of us. <laughs> Dear listener, in the last few days, July the 7th, I've got a, an article here from the Herald Sun about Social Service Services Minister Dan Tehan says we need a Religious Discrimination Act to save the religious many from the attacks of government and the activists of the victim lobby. So as you know, dear listener, we had this Ruddock inquiry and he's made his recommendations to the government. They've obviously looked at it, they're sitting on it, and they're trying to work out how much of his recommendations they can take on board and put forward in some sort of act. And different ministers and agitators are sort of going out into the public and making statements to beat beat the drum and try and encourage the government to do something. So... <coughs> Social Services Minister Dan Tien is one. So, but their arguments, Paul, are so pathetic. They're weak. They're totally weak, aren't they? And inconsistent. So we need a Religious Discrimination Act to, to save the religious many from the attacks of government and the activists of the victim lobby. Yes. But I'll go on. Mr Tien said that the creeping encroachment from the state on religious belief was a key issue, given new conflicts in the areas of euthanasia, same-sex marriage and the sanctity of the confessional. However, he identified the main threat to religious freedom as the growing influence of empowered minorities that use political correctness as a weapon against traditional beliefs and customs. He says Australia has reached an unusual point where the tools of oppression sowing the seeds of division, conquest, manipulation and cultural division are being wielded by the minority against the majority. It sounds like he is the spokesperson for that uh, minority, doesn't it? I'll actually read a bit from an article from The Guardian that really goes into it. He says, I'll just go on a bit further. We have not realised Martin Luther King's dream of a society where you are judged by the content of your character, not the colour of your skin. Instead, we have woken up to a nightmare where the value of your contribution to a debate depends on what you claim to be a victim of. So he's having a big whinge that victim sort of politics is somehow pushing the religious Christian minority to the side so that they're now being oppressed by this sort of victim groups and by the government. Indeed. If, when the opposite how, on earth, is the case. how on earth did he uh, tie Martin Luther King in with this? This is where you got to hand it to these guys. They've, ah. they've got the whole Donald Trump, you just say stuff and, and throw in things and, and they seem to get away with it. Yes, well, indeed. to some extent anyway. I mean, it was ludicrous what he was saying. So there's a good article here from Jeff Sparrow. Uh, in The Guardian, where he said that this debate just doesn't make sense. It's just a culture war. He said, Tian's not oppressed by the state. He is the state, which makes his speech distinctly odd. This is the thing. This guy is saying that the government is picking on the Christian majority. But he is the government. 
That's right. And as we know, the uh, the Christian uh, element is they're in power. steadily taking over the Liberal Party of Australia. And they're in power and getting whatever they want. Andrew <laughs> Bolt helpfully glossed the Tehan plan as necessary to save the religious many from the attacks of government and activists of the victim lobby. So they're blaming the both of them are blaming the victim lobby. Yeah, but, but they painting themselves as victims. Exactly. They are now the victim lobby. Plus they're saying that they're worried about political correctness that that they're being marginalized and silenced and attacked because of their of their beliefs. And and Tian complains there's more disrespect directed at people who share their faith publicly, and that is to the detriment of us all. So he's, he's complaining about the disrespect shown to people of faith in the political debate. But at the same time, he's criticising political correctness, and political correctness is all about showing respect in public That's, debate. Exactly, yeah. I'm, I mean, I certainly haven't noticed myself... Um, people being any more disrespectful towards uh, religious people, have you? Maybe, maybe the, uh, the Muslim so-called community, perhaps they still get a bit of, bit of flack, but I, I haven't noticed anything in particular around Christianity except for the, the Royal Commission into Child Abuse. But that wasn't, uh, that wasn't criticism, uh, vicious criticism so much as just revealing reality. Yeah, part of the th- one of the theories is that the government would really, really like to pass some sort of religious discrimination act yes. to give more power to Christian groups. Dude. The problem is they recognise that it has to apply to all religions, and by That's doing so, it. they're going to be giving power also to Muslims. Yes, which is a rival religion, let's face it. Let's be real about this. Um, The Christians are worried about the growing uh, size and influence of the Muslim uh, community in Australia. So they'd really love to pass legislation uh, in favour of Christian religion, but they can't do it without putting it in favour of Muslim religion. That's right. That's put them in a bind and they don't know what to do. They recognise their own double standard. Yeah. So, um, but whatever whatever happened to that inquiry? Weren't we supposed to have heard the uh, the outcome of that by now? Well, well, this is my point. Ruddock has given his recommendations to the government, and they're now looking at it and considering what to do. And they really want to do something, but they can't go as far as they'd like because of this problem <clears throat> of of also giving power to the Muslim community. So. Yeah. Language warning, dear listener. All these, by the way, dear listener, all these episodes have a language warning because at different times we might just we might just drop the f word occasionally. And I'm quoting an article from the Guardian here, and in doing so, I'm going to drop the f word because in this article he finishes off. Uh, it's not easy to draft legislation that protects the sensibilities of those who follow Jesus while simultaneously allowing you to shout "fuck your feelings" at the disciples of Muhammad. <laughs> Yeah, it's right. It's true. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and it, it begs the question: exactly what is the government planning to put in these new protections? It's it's a little bit ominous, isn't it? It's very ominous. It's very ominous. And and twelfth man, you poo pooed my submission to the inquiry a little bit. 
Because you thought it was a bit, yeah. Remember, dear listener, I wrote one from the point of view of a Satanist and arguing. Oh, that one. Yes, I remember now. And how I was going to enjoy all of the extra freedoms and privileges that that the government was calling for as a Satanist and all the things that I could do as a result. And Mm. you poo-pooed it, 12th man. You thought it was a bit sort of frivolous. But... I reckon the arguments I put forward there are some of the ones that they're looking at now and going, oh, Jesus, if we do that, then it means that, you know, Satanists and Muslims can do these other things. So I still have my submission. It just might be the case that it was your submission, Trevor, that is making life so complicated for them. I've only got to live another 30 years, so when the Cabinet papers are revealed, then they'll come out and they'll say, yep, it was that submission by the so-called Satanist Trevor Bell that did it. Yeah, That's right. Dear listener, we've got an old friend of the podcast, uh, James Patterson. He's a Liberal. He's from the um, IPA and... He. So he's a regular listener, is he? I take it. (laughs) He's a regular subject of our podcast. Anyway, he's come out saying that religious freedom must be protected. This is from a guy who used to say that you should be able to insult religious belief because he was a big freedom of speech guy. But now he's turning around and saying, oh, we need special religious protection. So, you know... Call me cynical, but he's also the guy who's got problems because the Mormons are taking over the Liberal Party in Victoria and he's in danger of losing pre-selection if, oh, it doesn't, he? if he doesn't cosy up to the Mormon element who are in oh, control and deciding pre-selection. So he's, you know, this is the thing. With groups like the Mormons who are getting control in the Liberal Party, even if you don't get your man in as pre-selected, the people who are there feel the heat and feel they have to accommodate you and start talking your language in order to protect their position. Yes, that's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. But he claims to be uh, agnostic, doesn't he, on religious matters? He does claim to be agnostic, correct. Um, so in this article, and this one is from the Catholic News... Asked who was currently being discriminated against, Senator Patterson said, this is a risk that we want to guard against in the future. We don't want people to be mistreated on the basis of their their religious views. Pressed on whether the problem exists currently, he said, I think that's a bit of a negative focus to take on it. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that nobody is being oppressed at the moment. It's all just... So much uh, double talk, isn't it? He's wanting to create preemptive strike legislation because of a problem that doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. He says, people of faith feel like they're being hounded out of the public square. They feel like their views are not as welcome in being contributed to public debate as others. But asked whether he could name specific people or faiths, Senator Patterson said, people generally of faith felt it. Oh, goodness. How does he know that? Does he go around canvassing all people of faith? That's what he would say. Um, Look, it, it seems to be a symptom of, of what's going around through, you know, most of the big parties and and activists these days. It's all about feelings these days. It's not about facts and reality. It's all about how people feel. Yeah. 
It finishes off a quote from Patterson. I think Christians feel that more than others, because Christians in this country have generally been in the past a clear majority, but trends show that they are becoming an increasingly smaller group of our society, and as a result, they feel like the place they once held in public debate and in public life is not as secure as it was. And you see people who espouse their views in public debate getting attacked increasingly viciously. Well, the getting attacked increasingly viciously, he previously was such a big one for say whatever you like in That's public right. debate. Mm-hmm. He's changed his tune on that one. Yeah, and look, I have to, I have to come clean here. I, I used to think uh, Senator Patterson had some pretty strong um, principles on freedom of speech, and I supported him on that. Yeah, because he was one where we could say, look, we disagree with you about a lot of things. He's a classic neoliberal, for example, but we at least agree with you on freedom of speech. But now he's he's changed. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh, Paul, in Queensland, the Liberal National Party had a conference. Were you aware of that? I did hear something about that on the wind. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I tried to get in, but uh, there was a there was a a guy at the door, and there was a there was a test in order to get in. I'll just tell you what he what he he told me. You have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is your only entrance requirement. That was a bit of a problem for me, but I just (laughs) I just I just lied and um, and said yeah, you know I do, and just walked in. So I was able to uh, see what was going on, and it was really good. Because before all of the speeches, there was a bit of um, sort of a pre-speech entertainment. I'll, I'll just play a little bit of that for you as well, okay? I don't care if it rains or freezes long as That gives you a bit of a, oh, a sense of that was the, great. the event. Yeah, <laughs> that gives you a sense of the event. Yeah, I'm going to get out all my country and western CDs after this podcast is finished. You may think I'm joking, dear listener, but when you look at the resolutions that were passed, you'll 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 say, "Oh, hang on, that's probably quite true." What 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 the Iron Fist went through there. So. The first article that I've got a link to for you, dear listener, is from The Guardian again, titled, well, you remember, Paul, we talked about the Lord's Prayer in the Senate mm-hmm. and how the uh, the Greens have put forward a motion that the Lord's Prayer yes. be removed and it's now gone to a Senate inquiry. Well, the Queensland LNPs have vowed to fight retrograde attempts to scrap the Lord's Prayer. As they would. Yeah. They're committed to leading the pushback against a Greens move to remove the Lord's Prayer. And the main one involved is Matt Canavan, who's called for the party to fight back against this attempt. Quote, Whether or not you come from a Christian heritage or not, I think the sentiments that are included in the prayer is something that is a shared heritage and insight for a Western civilization like ours, he told the room. Indeed. The idea that we should replace what is something that has lasted thousands of years, passed down by generation to generation, with some unlinked statement of spiritualism, I think would be a retrograde step in our culture. (laughs) He goes on, 
We should cherish those things passed down to us, even if some of us don't quite share the full spiritual or religious views of that heritage. We can still, of course, (laughs) understand universal truths that are embodied in a prayer such as Our Father and, in a respectful way, links us to our past, cherishes that past, blah, blah, blah. Well, it begs the question, has he actually read the Lord's Prayer or or even listened to it one time? <laughs> For goodness sake, you can still say the Lord's Prayer if you want to. Yes. It just... why don't, look, why don't the um, those believers in, in the parliament get together in a, a separate little room before they go into the chambers, the various mm. chambers, and have a little prayer session among themselves, you know? Why involve our, our secular democracy in their uh, their old superstitious nonsense, you know? Yeah, it's going to force us to cherish that. So, um, so there you go. That was that was one item from the conference, and then in uh, I've got another article here from the Brisbane Times. Um, LNP voters have voted at the party's annual state convention to save Christmas and protects freedom of speech but not to strengthen environmental laws at mine sites. So Delegate Carrie Latter claimed some schools were not allowing children to have a Christmas or Easter celebrations. And a member for Southern Downs said schools were becoming more politically correct. There is no better way to piss off the mainstream than to cancel Christmas, he said. He's probably right on the money with that one. (laughs) There was one delegate... Nat Hutton, and good on you, Nat, who said it was unnecessary to pass a resolution to protect Christmas. Uh, so there we go. That's, uh... Christmas pretty much protects itself. You know, I mean, it's it's a bonanza for a lot of businesses. They're certainly not going to let Christmas die. Exactly. Also, member for Marichidor, Fiona Simpson, said faith-based schools were facing a threat of not being able to employ people of that faith. Currently, this is a quote, currently they have a limited protection under discrimination laws exempting them. But it really should be a right for them to employ people with their faith and values, not an exemption they have to argue for. Oh, for God's sake. This is, this is why you can't join the LNP and try and turn it around. Yes. You have it, to start with the Labor Party yeah. and try and shift it <clears throat> in the right direction, because these guys have just jumped the shark. Yeah, they're too far gone, you reckon? They are, yeah. Mm, Sad, isn't it? Mm. On the abortion law issue in Queensland, apparently there was a report in the Courier-Mail that said the Queensland Law Reform Commission have not only recommended abortion be removed from the criminal code, but that safe access zones be implemented around clinics. So that's the word from the law reform well, that's what they're saying. The Law Reform Commission has recommended. Indeed. So that would be good, Paul. If well, that's progress. That's, that's genuine progress. Yeah. So I suspect good things are going to happen in that direction. And that's right. remember we talked about how there are um, people escorting ladies to fertility clinics in Brisbane to avoid the haranguing from the Christian groups? Yes, indeed. I've got a link, dear listener, to where you can volunteer um, for Pro-Choice Queensland and they give you a few different options if you're prepared to 
attend you know demonstrations if you're prepared to talk to your local mp if you're prepared to become a pro-choice defender i.e escort ladies to their clinics and if you're willing to help out in the office so there is a link in the show notes where you can volunteer if you would like to do so for pro-choice in queensland Lyle Shelton's been in the news also. He came out with a tweet. Did you see the tweet that he came I out with? I did see the tweet, yes. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. His tweet, do you, you, you wouldn't follow Twitter at all, do you? I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't. Do no, I can't understand why anyone would. It just doesn't make sense to me. I, so. I just don't have time for something like that, I'm afraid. I think it would chew up an enormous amount of time and... Yeah, so no, I don't follow it at all. But Lyle Shelton put out a tweet. This is the quote. You wouldn't get approval to mine asbestos, so why do state governments approve of brothels? <laughs> so that's from Lyle. And so on Twitter, the hashtag Lyle Logic just went off and yes. people started making statements that had no connection to each other. Yes, just staple, like his yeah. statement. Yes, you wouldn't staple your tongue to the counter at the post office, so why keep left when driving? Um, it's a, yeah, there are a lot of very funny ones, I have to say. Yeah. You wouldn't go to bed without brushing your teeth, so why dance the Charleston? Yes. Uh, you wouldn't get approval to tear gas your neighbours, so why is it okay to vaccinate babies? <laughs> you wouldn't let a frog sit in your porridge, so why get a tattoo? <laughs> You wouldn't get approval for an ashtray on a motorbike, so why let dolphins learn to crochet? <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So that was good. That poked fun at Lyle, and that's uh, that's good. Oh, what about this one more? One more. You wouldn't let a gorilla have a machine gun, <laughs> so why would you let Lyle Shelton tweet? <laughs> uh. Uh, he is a funny guy. Do you think he's in the wrong profession, uh, Trevor? You know, well, he should be in stand-up comedy, that guy. Well, this is the thing that Tian was talking about, where people in the Christian sphere are not being treated with respect. This, this is the sort of thing that he's talking about. Laughing Indeed. at Lyle. What do you expect us to do, for goodness Indeed. sake? Yeah. Yeah. Paul, do you does he not, uh, Go on. Does he not see the humour in it himself, I wonder? Who knows? It would be great to be actual, to be able to speak to him. No, it wouldn't be great. It'd, be, it'd just be too awful to talk to him, really. I think I think it'd be interesting to have him assessed, you know, psychologically. Oh, I, I can give you the assessment right now. You know, right wing Christian <laughs> <laughs> Just sign that off. Yeah. Paul, do you follow um, Miss Universe, Miss World contests at all? Are, you, are they on uh, your radar? Not, not recently. No. Right. Dear listener, Miss Spain 2018 is the first trans woman to compete for the Miss Universe title. Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? It is. It is. I, I, I'm not sure what, what to think about it, quite frankly, but, um, you know, good luck to Miss Spain if that's what Miss Spain wants to do. Yeah, Oops. I mean, I think... Good luck to her as well. So we've previously spoken about our transgender athletes. So if a male transgendered to a female and then mm -hmm. competed in female sports, 
that I felt that that was not appropriate because they basically had an unfair advantage. Yes, they have an unfair, you know, actual physiological advantage. Correct. And I would have thought that a man transgendering to a woman and competing in the Miss Universe contest is actually starting off with a disadvantage and they're not getting I would any... have thought so. Yeah. So I'm okay with it. If they if you can pull that off, good luck to you. If yes. you start off as a bloke and you can and you can do that, then wow. So I'm looking at the photo of Miss Spain and Clearly, you would have no idea that this person was not originally a woman since... Well, she was, but she... If you didn't have forewarning, you know, I mean, if we we look at it in in this context, then, of course, we start looking for signs of masculinity or, you know, Mm. a a square jaw or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, good luck to Miss Spain. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Still on transgender issues... Um, Paul, Scarlett Johansson casting as a transgender man draws a backlash. Mm. So she's facing a storm of criticism this week after it was reported that she would play a transgender man in a movie a year after she drew scrutiny for taking on a role that was originally Japanese. The online backlash, backlash was led by transgender actors who argue that such casting decisions take opportunities away from members of marginalised communities. And here's a quote from a person. Um, I wouldn't be as upset if I was getting in the same rooms as Jennifer Lawrence and Scarlett for cis roles, but we know that's not the case, says this actress Trace Lizette, referring to cisgender people or those um, who identify with the sex they originally assigned with at birth. Not only do you play us and steal our narrative and our opportunity, but you pat yourselves on the back with trophies and accolades for mimicking what we have lived, she said. Mm. Goodness me, Paul. Actors pretending to be people that they aren't. What's the world coming to? Well, exactly. I was just going to say I think this person is confusing... uh, you know, live sort of stand-up performance with uh, acting. Because it's not exactly the same thing, is it? That's right. That's their job, is to portray somebody that they are not. That's what actors do. They pretend to be somebody else. That's exactly what their job is, to pretend. And to say that they have to be locked into the cultural stereotype that they happen to be, you know... So if if you were making a film about slavery... You would have to go out and, uh, you know, search for some real slaves to, for the casting of the slaves, wouldn't you? You wouldn't be allowed to have normal, normal actors acting as slaves. Do you know that Sean Connery played the part of a secret agent and he wasn't actually a secret agent? He took that role away from, from secret agents who could have played that part. He, he wasn't really a secret agent? No, he took that role away from people. He was oh. pretending to be one, and he stole yeah. the narrative that they yeah. could have. I, I know it's disturbing, isn't it? And that wasn't it. That that old harpy Helen Mirren didn't she pretend to be the queen? And I mean, she's not the real queen. The real queen is still alive. Why didn't they just ask her? Yeah, how dare she? She stole the narrative. <laughs> it is just bordering on the absurd, isn't it? It, it is. I saw a thing that said. 
um, it was a satirical piece. You know, the Onion, the satirical newspaper. Yes. And it was a satirical piece saying that the Onion is going out of business because they can't come up with absurd headlines that are any more crazy than the real ones that are coming out at the moment. Look, I, I, I think they're quite credible with that because uh, the Donald Trump White House, it, it just boggles the mind, some of the things that come out of that place at the, at the moment. Yes. So, you know, if you are a transgender actor, then just go to the audition and good luck. You can, you can audition and if you can pull, the, pull it off, you'll get the job if you're good enough. And, you know, there's an example of a transgender beauty contestant who's pulled off winning the Miss Spain contest and is going to have a crack at Miss World. So, you know, maybe you're just not a good enough actress or actor. And, um, yeah, so that is crazy for sure. Paul, do you catch Ubers at all? I have never used Uber in my life. I'm not surprised. But I, I'm probably qu- quite a rare bird in, in that respect these days, aren't I? Yeah, you probably are. There's a, there's a sort of a, uh, another company that's very similar to Uber called Sheba, mm. S-H-E-B-H-H. Mm-hmm. And they have started a service in Hobart which will basically offer the female-only drivers and they're really only looking for female-only clientele. So they've been given permission from the Anti-Discrimination Commission to operate their business in that way. Yeah. What do you think of that? Uh, Look, I don't know, to be honest, because as we know... uh... Women are sometimes subject to um, acts of uh, violence and, um, you know, foul play at the hands of male taxi drivers. So, gee, I don't know, maybe maybe there is a need for it. I know in Papua New Guinea, in I think in Port Moresby and possibly in other large cities in Papua New Guinea, they have women-only buses, although I'm not sure if the driver has to be a woman, but... They have women-only buses uh, which only carry female passengers. And apparently it works very well for those women who use the service because uh, violence against women is apparently pretty bad up there. So I don't know. What do you think? I'm, I'm okay with it. I mean, discrimination can sometimes be okay. There's unfair discrimination and there's yes. fair discrimination. And I yeah, think and there's a fair case. So There's rational discrimination, isn't mm. there? I'll give a bit more detail on what, on what they're actually doing here. So they've been given an exemption to recruit and employ female drivers only to operate ride-sharing services in Tasmania and for those female drivers to only drive other females, primary school-aged children, boys and girls, boys up to 18 years of age if accompanied by a female guardian... And a man travelling with his female partner and baby in need of a baby seat mm-hmm. or a child in need of a booster seat. Mm. And but, but they won't carry a, a, a male travelling by himself. Correct. An adult or, male. Or a female and a male. They would need to have a baby with them. Oh, really? That's yeah. interesting. Mm. Mm. And they're doing that on the basis that females feel uncomfortable becoming standard taxi drivers for security concerns. 
they're scared for their safety. So yeah. it basically takes a lot of females out of the taxi or ride-sharing services. So mm-hmm. this will promote female drivers and yeah. quality. And it's also from the customer side of the equation as well, where they feel that they would want to have a female driver if they're a lone female. So they wouldn't want to be picked up by a male driver necessarily. So I reckon it's all fair enough. I do too. Although it's going to put more pressure on the regular taxi industry, isn't it? You know, how do you mean? Uh, well, further undermine the customer base, but um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there'll be less people taken. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, if if that's what happens, that's what happens. That's uh, that's the free market at work. Mm. Yep. The Sarah Hansen Young and Senator Lionhelm fiasco. Paul, have you followed that? I have to some extent. Yes. I, uh, do you want my view? I, th- I do. Okay. I think Sarah Hansen Young needs to get on with uh, the job that she's being paid for and um, concentrate on uh, legislation and other useful work that she was elected for. Yeah, I tend to agree. So she uh, is saying that he has implied that she's a slut shagging men indiscriminately and is a misandrist. So that's her complaint. Well, she accuses him of being a misogynist, not a misandrist, of course. Yes. So obviously it was pretty ugly, the, you know, insults that he threw at her. But really, is it something that we need to start defamation proceedings for? Does anyone really take it seriously, what David well, says in that situation? She so, does, and, and yeah. people who share her views about, you know. But in order to claim defamation, you've got to prove, you know, damage to your character. And the fact yes. that David Limehelm says anything about you, is anybody <laughs> really going to believe him on your character yeah. for that or take notice of what he says yes so I, I really don't think you know having looked at the words that he reportedly used i really can't see her claim holds water he he didn't say very much about her sex life at all he just recommended that if she was so worried about men perhaps she should stay away from them basically didn't he Oh, I think he said a bit more than that. Um, he said she should continue shagging as many men in, as possible and a few other things like that. So, it, it I, I'm, I don't know. I, I didn't see the part where he said shag as many men as possible. I, I don't recall that at all. But yeah. he did, you know, when she basically accused him of um, uh, saying something horrible to her, she, he, he replied by saying, oh, well, if, you know, Sorry, if if I said the wrong thing, go ahead. Keep shagging men. I don't think yeah. he was implying that she should shag as many as possible. Yeah, I think he said... Uh, then he was on a bunch of um, sort of television shows afterwards Talk where he's probably yeah. said other things. Uh, yeah. like it's too hard to keep tabs on exactly. Yeah, look, I, I didn't see those programs on TV, I have to admit. Yeah, but, uh, you know, genuinely, has there been anybody in Australia who now thinks that less of Sarah Hansen Young because of what David Lionhelm has said? I don't know. Highly unlikely. 
Yeah. Anyway, yes. I'd, I'd be spending my energy on other things if I was yes. her. Mm. Indeed. I mean, she just loves being outraged, that woman, doesn't she? I mean, if it's not Lionel, it's something else or somebody else. She is a professional outrage merchant, I think. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why people struggle to vote for the Greens, isn't it, and get any traction because of I think it is. The, uh, I really think it is. Mm, yeah. I have to admit, I had I had a lot of um, good feeling about the Greens Party early in their in their time as a political party. Uh, you know, very strong views on the environment, which I thought were you know probably uh, quite appropriate on the whole. Mm. And uh, now they've gone off on weird tangents, weird social justice tangents. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, anyway, uh, a misandrist, by the way, a person who dislikes, despises, or is strongly prejudiced against men, as opposed to a misogynist for, for women. Otherwise, yes. exactly the, yeah. So, patrons, we've picked up some new ones, Paul. Right. Let me say thank you to our patrons, and I'll just bring up the, who we've got. Starting from the top, thanks, Sean, Alex, Janelle, Craig, John. Stingers has joined us as, as well. That's a new one. Grant, Wayno, Ayame, Brett, Anonymous, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Craig, Jimmy, James, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bronwyn, Matt J and Robbie. Good on you, Robbie. Good to see you there, mate. So, yeah, it looks like Matt J and Robbie and oh, John Town and Stingers have joined us. Well, Stingers might have changed his name, actually. I think he might have been... A different name, he's changed his name. Anyway, thank you, patrons, for supporting us. It really is appreciated. And, you know, I'm down in Sydney and doing all sorts of other stuff, and it would have been really easy to go, oh, we could skip this week. But knowing you're out there and loving the show um, helps us to keep going. So thanks for that. Paul, we, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, spoke about the average wage and how we said it was closer to 45000 rather than the 85,000 that Scott Morrison was yes. talking about. Yeah. Yes. I've got a link here, dear listener, to some statistics from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, and this is for 2017, and they say employees earned a median weekly pay of $1,019 per week, and the top 10% of employees earned more than $2,109 per week. So, dear listener, if you were earning more than 2109 per week, so a bit over 100000 a year, you're in the top 10% of wage earners in the country. Yeah, and that includes all our elected representatives. Indeed it does. So, so there you go. And interestingly, well, Paul, what states would you think where people had the highest wages compared to other states? What would be the states with the higher wages and the states with the lower wages? Uh, Median earnings. uh, Well, most of our federal parliamentarians at some point reside in the ACT, so can I have a stab at the ACT as being the highest paid? Well done. 1,281 is the median in the ACT, followed by the Northern Territory at 1,200. That's wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Western Australia and... Uh, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, uh, do some people in the Northern Territory get 
tax concessions for remote, you know, the so-called remote allowance, I think. I don't know. I don't know what's you know. going on there, but mm. they're well paid in the Northern Territory. Um, sure are. Western Australia and New South Wales are above average, while uh, Victoria and Queensland were slightly below and significantly below are South Australia and Tasmania, so for wages. Yep. I've got a link to an article from Greg Jericho, which basically was saying what we were saying or I was saying a few weeks ago, that these examples, remember the forklift driver earning over 100000 and what the, what the Korean <laughs> mail was putting forward is how is this tax cut going to affect the average Australian? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And he makes the point that the examples are just not average at all. And, you know, a Victorian no. police superintendent is on 154,000, a Victorian school principal is on 113. And, and these, are, these are not your average no. income earners but, in Australia. But they're typically the people that Scott Morrison mentions when he's trying to sell his tax plan. Indeed, indeed, yep. So it's a, it's a kind of political sl- sleight of hand, isn't it? It is. It's just deceptive, and it and it's um. Just, it, it, but if people say it often enough, it just cons people. So yes. you really have to say, look, if someone's on a hundred, hundred ten thousand a year, one hundred ten, they're on the top ten percent according to the median of wage earners in Australia. So don't complain that times are tough if you're in that position because in mm. one of the wealthiest countries on the planet, you're in the top 10%. You are doing mm. okay. Yeah. But what about all those people who are on the median? How do they feel about this, I wonder? Yeah, I Should they feel comfortable, relaxed? I, well, no, they're doing it tough and they should feel like they're doing it tough because, yeah, our expenses are so high. This is the thing. Indeed. Yeah. So, all right, we've had this one on the on the board for a long time. We're finally getting to it, Paul. Curses, black magic, and witch doctors in Northern Territory, and it's a story about a place in the Gulf of Carpentaria, Groot Island. Yes, indigenous indigenous residents widely believe in curses, which can be placed on a person, place, or object, and. Outsiders can be in the local grocery store and suddenly people are just running out of the place and, you know, staff and customers just abandon the shop and just run out. If you're an outsider and you don't know what's going on, you're just left bewildered and it turns out that somebody's realised that there's a curse on the shop and it's get the hell out of there as if there's a fire. Wow. It seems to be a regular occurrence. Um, yeah, indeed. So the, the Angurugu community shop was cursed quite a bit because its closure would impact most of the community. A quote here, as soon as we heard that the shop had been cursed, we'd just literally drop everything and walk out of the building, she said. But and normally nobody stays around long enough to explain what's going on. <laughs> oh, really? They just follow the leader, basically? Yes. So, And they've even done it to the local school. So. Oh. Yes, but cutting 159 students off from education for almost two weeks sparked a backlash. So the Anindiliyakwa ceremonial elders decided that any future curse on public infrastructure would be ignored. Oh, really? Can you actually ignore a curse? Seems so when it gets too too inconvenient. Mm. Well, do you know, just... By coincidence, when I was a a boy, I went to Sunday school for quite a few years and um, 
I recall some um, Christian missionaries uh, from our church or associated with our church were actually up on Groot Island uh, converting those good people to uh, faith in Jesus. Wow. So it looks like they they haven't done their job very well because <laughs> the good people of Groot Island are still running out of the store when it's cursed. They are, yeah. So they weren't happy about this and it was decided that any costs incurred to lift the cursing of the school and the Centrelink office, which was eventually done through a smoking ceremony, would be deducted from... Anindiliaqua land council administered royalty entitlements of the people who placed the curses. Because it's getting too expensive to um, <laughs> conduct smoking ceremonies. Oh, really? Clear, How much do to, they charge? To, to clear the school in the, uh, <laughs> in the grocery store. Yeah. There we go. Uh, look, I had, a, I had an online chat with a chap not so long ago. I actually put up the the same article on Facebook and right. there was a guy responded and, and very reasonably uh, he, he said basically he didn't you know go along with those belief systems but and you know he's basically an atheist but he said that you know baby steps basically he said you can't just uh, overnight convert people who, who are steeped in this kind of superstition and just, you know, tell them, no, you don't have to worry about that sort of thing, you know. He said it's so deeply ingrained in their culture, basically, that it's a very hard one to shift. So what do you think is the best? I mean... I agree with him 100%. Mm-hmm. What can you do? What can you, you know, do? When people have such an inbuilt belief system, yeah. somebody from the outside telling them that it's nonsense and to f- don't worry about it, that's not going to work. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can say the same about our own culture, for goodness sake, can't you? We've, hmm. we've still got lots of churches around town. Um, so he, he basically said literacy first. First thing, you've got to tackle the literacy issue. Once uh, our Indigenous people become, you know, fully literate, then they'll have access to the same sources of uh, knowledge and understanding about the real world as we have. Of course, yes. they have it now, but, you know, it's, it's one thing to have access. It's another thing to actually uh, make use of that access. So, so there's, there's royalty entitlements that the people get, which is administered by the local land council. And they're going to deduct somebody's entitlement to cover the cost of the curse removing. <laughs> It'd be an interesting court case if you decided to defend it and say, well, you know, I didn't place a curse on this building because there's no such thing as a curse. <laughs> yeah, so I can't, you can't take my money off me. That would be yeah. a really interesting case to put forward, wouldn't it? Yeah. Should we try it? Well... Somebody will at some stage, perhaps. But, yeah, you could rock up to court and say, well, I'm, I'm not guilty because it's impossible to put a curse on a, on a building. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's, you know, it's easy for us to laugh, of course, but uh, I suppose, you know, uh, except for the European Enlightenment, we might be still sort of, you know, rocking up to church every Sunday and spending the day there. 
Indeed. I guess it's mainly put forward as, you know, well, that's what's happening in Australia, folks. Like, it's still happening in this day and age. So, bear that in mind, and I agree. I don't think there's a lot you can do about it in the short term except education in the long term and, yes. and see how that works. Yeah. So, right, Paul, we're about done. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Um, nothing in particular, but right. that, was, that was a good little chat. Good. Yeah. Thanks, so, listeners, for mm, tuning in. We'll be. I'll be back in Brisbane next week, and all of us will be sitting around the same table, not having to rely on Skype, and we will come up with some stuff for you next week. Thank you to the new patrons, especially, for coming on board. And if you're not a patron yet, think about it. And otherwise, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Oh, yeah. We could have Robin on next week, and at some stage, we may have Fiona Patton as well. So yes, that would be good. Hmm. All right, I, we'll I think you... I think yeah. I got the impression from speaking with Fiona that uh, I think she might be interested in that one. So let's hope. Good. Good. Okay. All right, dear listener. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. Bye. Yeah. Iron fifth and a rubber glove. Oh shit. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf, on their phone, and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon, and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.